0: take me back when I was a kid never had to worry about what I did but I'm a man now what's the plan now gotta get it done no time for fun now take me back when I was a kid never had to worry about what I did but I'm a man now what's the plan now gotta move on those days stories that need to be told I'm home in Detroit sitting on the couch I'm with my mom I'm not in L.A. Up front, I apologize. Stevie Gutman, Stock Tip Dave, sorry I didn't call in today. I was was in a movie. I wasn't going to make the time. We didn't get to do a local remote. But I'm on the couch. The last words out of my mom's mouth just now were, you need a girl. Uh, Because I've been complaining about dizziness now for two weeks. And mom, do you think that my (laughs) residual vertigo
1: for two weeks is made up? I think you're nuts. Why do you think I'm nuts? Because I think it's real. Because I think it's probably gone, but you're such a hypochondriac that you think you have it. That's my thought.
0: So just now when I stood up, I went like this. I'm
1: like,
0: I feel a little bit off. Do you think it's because I was just lifting a little bit of weight over there earlier?
1: No, I thought because you're you're moving around like an idiot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... The last podcast, I talked about vertigo.
1: Oh, God.
0: I'm the only person I know who had vertigo for six seconds and let it ruin two weeks of his life. Um, my mom can attest that my dad was a major hypochondriac. He spent more time at his friends who, was do- who were doctors. Loved to go to the doctor all the time. Um, but when I really break it down, it was six seconds out of my life that affected me a lot. Yeah, but you've made it into a month. So hopefully I'll make it into a bit, a comedy bit.
1: It should be a comedy bit because it's nothing but funny now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously? Yeah. It's ridiculous.
0: But this is my, this this is the last I'll talk about it. This is Uh, what I want to know from you. You've been through a lot. You've been to doctors. We all know doctors in our family. My question is this. After I had the first vertigo incident, was six seconds, when it went away, I felt fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Then the next day, I had it again, a little bit. I, then after it, I felt fine. But I said to myself, I should probably go to an ENT specialist who deals with vertigo, and let's see what happens. I went to him. He did this specific maneuver that's supposed to get rid of vertigo, right. and it put me in a haze for two weeks. Do you
1: think he made me worse, or what? No, I don't think he made you worse. I think he's you're fine. I think, but in your head, you think it's, ba- it's bad. bad. But I don't think it's bothering you at all. You don't? No. Because I think you're out, You're work, walking around, you're working out, you're eating properly, you're not, you're not really sick, you're not dizzy. You're not dizzy. I got a little dizzy this morning when I got out of bed and I looked down. Don't look
0: down. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, but you have to look down. Why? I mean, what am I, going to never look down again in life? I'm not going to look down? Or just for now, I'm not gonna look down. Just
1: for now, you don't have to look down. What are you looking at?
0: Your feet? Yeah, I was like waiting to see if I would get dizzy, and (laughs) I—it's a blood pressure thing. Anyway, the bottom line is—oh my god—the bottom line is I think I'm fine. I don't like that I complain this much. It's driving everybody around me crazy. I'm—you know—you need a
1: girlfriend. You need somebody to take up your time.
0: Someone to take up my time and complain to,
1: and take care of me. You need somebody to take care of you Because you're a pain in the ass
0: <laughs> I can barely take care of myself I'm literally thinking about going back to LA Packing up my bags And making a move I want to get out of that apartment I'm sick of and, the apartment
1: And where are you going to go?
0: Who knows? I'll, I'll, I'll just chill for the summer in Charlevoix uh-huh. Or back here And then I'll go get an apartment Why am I going to keep paying for that apartment
1: what For this long? you buy a house Is what you should do
0: Yeah, where? In the valley? I'm not living in the valley It's a thousand degrees in the valley I'd rather buy a house in Nashville.
1: You don't live in Nashville.
0: (laughs) I'll move to Nashville. I'll start writing country songs.
1: Why don't you get a house in the inner city here? You can get a good deal. Maybe I will. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant.
0: Maybe I will. Maybe I'll get a house in Detroit. everything
1: you do is in L.A. and the West Coast.
0: That's not true. All my meetings are in L.A. and the West Coast, but I can live anywhere as a writer, director, comedian.
1: You don't believe me? No, you could, but if if I were you, and if that was really the case, I would pack up my stuff, bring it home, and find a house here. Cause for what you can buy in L.A. for a million dollars, you can buy here for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars.
0: That's what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah.
0: I go back after my. Let me just walk around a little bit to feel if I'm dizzy. I go back. I go back to. Uh, hold on. I got to balance out like this. Jesus. I'm fine. I'm standing on... <laughs> we could put it, the next one on video. I would just had to like stand that. on one leg. But we can go back. I can go back, pack up my stuff, put it in storage, or drive it across the country. You know what I mean? And I don't... What do I have?
1: I got nothing. So sell it over there and then come back here and buy what you need and move into an apartment or into in a house here. Maybe I put
0: on Facebook for a state sale. <laughs> it's an state sale. Yeah. Come over, you get a couch, a table that's 20 years old, a TV I bought from Neil Brennan. Shout out, Neil Brennan. I bought it for $600 10 years ago. I think I paid him $10 a week. It's over. And it still works great, by the way. High definition TV <clears throat> if anybody needs it. Um, do you like having me home or am I a pain in the ass?
1: No, I love having you home. You do? Yeah, I do. I like, I like the company and the noise in the house. Oh, here
0: we go. My mom can say two words and she starts to get emotional. I like company and noise in the house. I'm not that noisy in the house. She does not like being in the house alone. Nobody does. But my mom lives in a nice big house alone. So maybe I come home for a couple months. I come home for a few months. It's the emotional podcast. It's the emotional Mike Young stories that need to be told podcast. (laughs) How many years have you been in this house? 20, 30? 30. uh, 28. 28 or 29. 29 years. She hates the house at this point. But it's a great house. I mean, you got a beautiful, it's a beautiful beautiful home. Upstairs, downstairs. You know, everybody has stayed here. It's like a boarding house. It's a bed and breakfast, basically. (laughs) A beautiful bed and breakfast. Tony Rock has stayed here. Sebastian stayed here. Brothern <coughs> stayed here. Everybody has stayed here. Yeah,
1: that's true. Right? Young American Comedy Tour Hall. Exactly. No, I, I love the I like the the I like when the people are staying here. I, I enjoy the noise. I like the the tumult in the house. I don't like quiet.
0: Right. She that's hates kind of thing. Right. But my nephews come over all the time and they're not quiet at all. They come over a lot. Yeah. And this summer you'll be busy with them. They'll be here a lot.
1: I won't be here. I'm going up north.
0: When are you going up north?
1: I am hoping to get up there at the end of June and stay until the end of at least August. That's my plan.
0: I think you could I mean that's just you should just do that. I mean you don't that's
1: need to need uh, somebody to drive me up there. That's
0: all. Right. So we'll get someone to drive you up and you definitely don't wanna stay on the first floor. You wanna no. be you wanna go up to your room.
1: Yeah, I can walk upstairs. Right. Not exactly an
0: invalid. Right. It's been a crazy year.
1: Yeah, it's been a shitty, a shitty year. It's been a shitty least, year. To say the least. But we're here. So. We're here.
0: And we're good.
1: Right. And I'm getting better by the minute, so I cannot complain.
0: All I try I to
1: do is get on the beach and enjoy myself.
0: Exactly. I tell My mom doesn't have a lot of patience. <laughs> you just don't. That's no. just your thing. No. And so she's... You you know, the stroke, and then you had the hip surgery, and it, it set you back probably six months because yeah. of, it just was slowing down the recovery process. But your impatience gets you to walk improperly. So you will just start taking off <laughs> down the road but walking with, like, a horse gallop. When you <laughs> should be walking, because you're wondering... My mom wonders why her right leg hurts. She swears that it's something else. But what she doesn't realize is if you walk irregularly, and you don't walk with a rhythm and the proper pacing and the right. proper bending of the knee properly, then your leg's going to hurt because you're moving it wrong.
1: True.
0: So already today, after yesterday, telling you to move it properly, it's feeling better. Correct right. or incorrect?
1: True. true. That is very true.
0: So as much of a pain in the ass as I am when I come Ooh. home, I, I'm like a personal trainer. <laughs> I'm a nag. If I see my mom walking wrong, I straighten it out immediately. Sometimes I leave her. I just I just leave her in the middle of a shopping market, just to show her that she can get to the entrance on her own, because I don't have to be there right no. by your side. And what do you think it is about the fear of being in a market or the fear? Because when you're home alone, or I mean, when you're home and you're walking around familiar territory, I'm you're fine. moving.
1: I'm fine. It's just it's just I'm a, uh, the fear of falling in some place like. In the mall or in the market, that bothers, you know, that, that's what I'm afraid of. I don't want to fall.
0: But let me tell you something. It's not just the fear of falling. It's the space relation. So when you're around, like, open, wide open, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's nothing that you know that you can grab onto. Like there's
1: no wall or there's no um, counter, counter space or something. So that's difficult. Not difficult, but that's scary for me right now. Right. But I know that I'll get better and it, because I've gone through this before. And you're getting, you can feel yourself getting better by the day. Yeah, no doubt about it.
0: No I mean, when doubt. I was here two months ago, a month and a half ago, you were, you 50% of the time you were on the walker. And now basically 100% of the time you're on the cane. Right, right. So you're already moving. But I have to remind you all the time to bend your knees. Right. The only, the bummer is, is my mom was never an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> we me and my brother are both athletes. We both played ball growing up. We both my brother played college football. My dad played college football. He was, was all-city athlete. Everyone who comes around Detroit who re- remembers dad is always like your dad was the best athlete.
1: Right.
0: There's never been anybody that walked up and said, "Wow, well, your mom." It,
1: There's
0: never been anybody that walked up and said, "Your mom's a <laughs> phenomenal athlete." You just didn't have it. There was a time where dad was making cash money, and he offered you $1,000 to run around a block. Right. You couldn't make it 80 feet.
1: Because I know a better way to get the $1,000. <laughs> ha!
0: And there you have it, and there is where I get my sense of humor and my quick wit. My mom knew right away how to get the money out of my dad. Um, don't you think it's weird, Ma, that dad did not make a lot of money till the end, basically the end of his life?
1: Oh, he didn't make any money until I would say maybe, maybe the last eight years of his life.
0: Truthfully, do you remember any turning point in the money, like in the financial? Like we grew up. When I started, would say Redleaf, the first place we grew up, I wouldn't call it poor. I'd say poor. I mean, poor. it's poor.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, we were poor. We, we lived in we, how many square feet was our house? Nine hundred square feet. 900 square feet, and there were times when you let your brother David live with us, well, you know, or somebody else would live with us. So we grew up in a 900-square-foot house, happy as can be.
1: Right, right. great neighborhood with great people.
0: Great people. Our neighbor had a motorcycle. My dad would borrow it once in a while, throw me on the back of it, time. helmet or no helmet, and we'd be off riding.
1: Daddy made, at that time, when you kids were little, and he worked at the Southfield Athletic Club, he made like fifteen thousand dollars a year. That was it.
0: Fifteen thousand dollars a year. Which car? What was it?
1: It was the car Stage that White? the yeah that the that the South of the other Club club gave him. I never had a car, so he didn't even own that car. No, who owned it? Like the owner owner of the
0: club? Yeah, who just gave it to him. Yeah, just to use. Like here, Sam. Yeah. So funny. So my dad was making fifteen grand a year. Mm-hmm. We were happy Before as can he be.
1: Go And I would take the school bus to school uh, because I was working the preschool program because Robert was in it. So I would take the the Southfield school bus with Robert and the kids to school and I would take it home because I didn't have a car unless Dad was home from work for some reason. Were you the only teacher riding the school bus? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: We were very thrifty. We figured things out. But you know what's so funny is when you grow up and you're poor, you don't know you're poor. Well, at no, least we didn't. I mean,
1: we had a good time.
0: And Dad wasn't one of those guys who was like trying to compare himself to people. I
1: don't know,
0: it wasn't like his friends were making a killing back then. I mean, he was still only thirty, twenty nine, thirty years old. You yeah, know, he not even. Make
1: a lot of money.
0: But you know, he worked at the South Athletic Club where. You know, the Southwood Athletic Club is a famous Detroit establishment. I've talked about it on the podcast before. You know, some people say it was the you know, the mafia headquarters back in the seventies when Jimmy Hoffa disappeared, everybody's alibi was that they were working at the Southwood Athletic Club. Yeah. It's a true story, so I'm not making yeah. you know, I'm not these are just facts. But um, it was one of the greatest places for characters.
1: Oh, it's a great place. Like we used to go there all the time for breakfast and lunch. I think you kids thought it was their your dining room. We would go
0: there for breakfast and lunch, but women were only allowed every other su- or on Sundays or every other Sunday or once a month on Sundays. Maybe the, I mean, it was all it was men's called,
1: club. Yeah, the women were only there if the, if they went for lunch or something. But I went there with you kids so that at least you could see your dad. Right. You know, otherwise you wouldn't uh, wouldn't see him all day long. So I right. would take you in the morning, and then take you back in the like at night for dinner and you'd have lunch with K-Line and whoever else was hanging out there and it was it was like fun.
0: I mean, what luck we had to be born under Dad's wing. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, Al K-Line, one of the arguably the greatest baseball players in the history of the world, Hall of Fame Detroit Tiger was my dad's great friend at my bar mitzvah. I was calling him Uncle Al. Nice Didn't guy. really realize how re, you know how big of a thing he was when you're a kid. But still knew there was something special going on, and we were part of it. Well, he took, and he couldn't have been a nicer he took person. Daddy
1: somewhere one time, and told and, and told them that Daddy was Willie Horton. <laughs> <laughs> and Dad played along with it, and that's I think that's kind of why I went to L. A.
0: and wasn't ever phased by like celebrity or entertainment. Nothing. We,
1: we grew up. We we knew some of the best celebrities ever, so it wasn't. We were never impressed. Who cared? Yeah,
0: I mean, Dad would come home. My dad's best friend Freddie was the doctor. Was the doctor for all the rock groups and athletes in Detroit. And so when they would, you know, Chicago, Black Sabbath, yeah. you know, Journey, all these bands, the Cars, they would come to Detroit, and you guys would go to these concerts, and right. Dad would be backstage meeting all these guys. He didn't know what was going on. He, he was, Dad like. I used to say uh, dad show. liked the Beach Boys.
1: I, yeah, oh, he loved them. That,
0: that was his favorite group, which is so ironic that I got to direct Stamos because that's his band. Right. I mean, he loves them, and I've met the Beach Boys because of him.
1: But he, but Daddy was never impressed with anybody. I mean, I told you about the time I came home one day, and all of the Chicago group was at our house. I mean,
0: imagine that.
1: Yeah, they were all at the house because a Dad and Freddie had played racquetball with them, and that night we were going to the concert... And it was so fun. And we sat in the front, in the front row. Usually, we sat in the dressing room. And I would say to Freddie, "Can we sit in the front row in in front of the stage instead of back the backstage?" So you can at least enjoy the show. Yeah, you know. So Freddie,
0: yeah, Freddie would take you guys to all the shows. You come, you come, you come home. And this is when we moved into our second house. So the second house was was a little bigger, nicer neighborhood. You know, just a, a different neighborhood kind of, I wouldn't call it upscale, I would call it middle class, yeah. basically middle working class, cul-de-sac to cul-de-sac, 40 kids yeah. on each block, so imagine cul-de-sac to cul-de-sac, and then that same design is going for seven streets down. Yeah, I mean, we, there had to be a, there hundreds of kids in the in neighborhood. The
1: elementary school is right there, you know, you kids walked two blocks and you were at the elementary school, which was like the hub of the neighborhood. And they had a summer program where you kids instead of going to camp, they had a summer program that they ran, and they had um what's it called parks and Rec parks and recreation, but they had like the Olympics for parks and Rec and it was awesome.
0: I was in the newspaper every year, softball throw. Uh, Parks and Recreation Southfield, we had our own little team, and every year you know you had to try out, and so you had all these cool events the softball throw, pitch, hit, and run, the 50 yard dash, pull ups. Rob won the gold medal in pull ups. My brother could do literally like 50 legitimate pull ups when he was like 10 years old. He was Bam Bam, he was the strongest kid in the neighborhood, and we were super lucky. We had uh my first major crush, Naomi Wax. Oh, my God. She was tan. She was stunning. Amazing skin. She rolled up her sleeves every time. She always had her sleeves rolled up, and she would just sit on the bike rack. I'd be talking to her, trying to impress her, throw a softball behind her. But that was the best way you could grow up. There was no summer camp for us at that time. You know, the, it was you guys, pre.
1: You kids, uh, I Did you even go – you went one time. One, one
0: year I went to summer camp, and that was the end of
1: it. Right. Right? Yeah, and then Robert went a couple years. He went to Tamaqua, But then when he went to Tamarack, he threatened to walk down the freeway. Right. He said, me and Mike Raskin will be walking on 75 if you don't hear from us.
0: Right. My brother writes a letter home, which throws me into a panic because one of his bunkmates or whatever sees a letter. My mom gets a letter, says, if you love me, I'll be walking south down I-75, and I'll be with Mike Raskin. I hate this place. I hate camp. I don't like the people. The food's terrible. And I remember I didn't like Camp Tamarack too much either, even though we had a great time with, like, Jason Cooper went, I think Colvan went, uh, Debbie, I can't remember, Jill Sherman went, um, Shelly Budman, God, like a bunch of really great people. But I didn't really get along with the counselor. I had a little bit of an authority problem. Oh, what a shock. And I remember the counselor, he he kept calling me Spongehead, like I was an airhead. (laughs) And I remember like, feeling like, this guy's like calling me stupid as a kid. But really, meanwhile, I'm sitting there thinking, this guy's an idiot. And I can't remember who he was, but like, we got in like, a physical altercation. I was 12 years old, getting body slapped. Scott LaBelle came to camp.
1: Yes, he did, because I did his laundry.
0: Yep. God, we had a lot of characters.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, always that, I always think that because of the way we grew up and like, the people we grew up around, that's why I became a writer. I think that just the characters. There's just too many great characters great to characters. not write about, you know? A lot of them are not with us yeah, anymore. You know, you think about Scott LaBelle. What a tragedy, you know? But he was my boy for so long. You know, he was wild. LaBelle was definitely wild.
1: He didn't have much of an upbringing. He didn't have no parenting, parenting at all.
0: No. LaBelle would be like, well, let's watch my mom in the driveway making out with a stranger. I mean, he, he, you know, we grew up around some people that didn't really have it so easy.
1: Right, right. Like, at all. They had, he had no parenting. He had no parents at home. No, nope.
0: Didn't really know who his dad was. Like, I don't even know if anybody knew who his dad was. Did we ever, did anyone know?
1: I never
0: knew. Right, no one knew who his dad was, but he grew up in a decent enough neighborhood to where, like, the, the neighbor... The the kids were his family.
1: Right.
0: You know, I remember when he moved, I packed him up and put him in the car. He moved. He was moving to Florida at the time, I think, or to go move with his, wherever his brother was, San Diego, Florida, something. But it's weird because I look at like a lot of, you know, you go to, when you go to college, you end up meeting people that are from like nicer areas or like people with money. And it seems on the surface, like their life was easier. You know, right, and they didn't you you think that they don't, and it's not everybody's you just don't got know a
1: different story, you know everybody's got some story to tell absolutely and the, older, and the older you get, the more stories you'll hear, you know people think everybody's life is different than theirs, but everybody's got something going on going on right, there's some something right, you know, they don't have a great family, they don't have. You know, this one doesn't like the mother. They don't like the father. They're divorced. They're... I don't know. Right.
0: Look at what's going on right now. I mean, you see, you know, people that on the surface look like they're doing great and everything's shiny and bright. And they're killing themselves, you know? And, you know, we know... We've known that forever. Yeah. You know, we already knew, unfortunately, growing up, you know... I got to bring it up because it's naturally coming out of my mouth. But, like, you know, we have... Mental illness in the family I mean, it's just a fact
1: Yeah, it's a fact You
0: know, we have three suicides You know, not a lot of people that I go do comedy with Or do movie stuff with They don't know that, really right. You know, they, I don't really, never I never talk about that right. But, like, people around me are, you know Preaching about mental health issues And this and that And I could tell you from sixth grade Right I know what it looks like uh-huh. You know what I mean? I already know what it is Right Because, you know, one I lost, you know, my mom lost Three siblings to it, out of seven, and that's tragic, and it's beyond comprehension. But my un- one uncle jumped off a bridge, and my other uncle and my other and my aunt, they they killed themselves. They shot themselves, and it's just you know, if I'm going to do a podcast and be honest while it's coming out, I might as well be honest about it and say, talk the
1: real. The problem is nobody talks about mental illness. It's sort of like. It's like a it's a worse than cancer because at least cancer you can kind of see Where and is? and and treat it and no people people don't talk about mental illness because they don't want they don't get treated for it and
0: they think it's a stigma
1: they, they, yeah they, they think it's a negative. horrible thing that you know God forbid you're not normal, whatever normal That's is you know. Right. It's
0: funny because back in the day, I knew normal wasn't, there was no normal. That nobody's normal.
1: Nobody's normal. You
0: know? Like, nobody's normal. Everybody's nuts. You know? And we saw it firsthand in our family, and it scared the shit out of me. Hmm. And I remember...
1: Just some people are nuttier than others, that's all.
0: Yeah, and you try to find a way to, like, find some light at the end of the tunnel, but, like...
1: Gotta find some funny.
0: We're, I'm trying to find the funny. I have yet to ever write a joke. I don't have no bits about any of that. Like, I just don't have any...
1: There's nothing funny about it. I mean, it's pathetically It's horrible. Right. I mean, that, that's a phone call you don't ever want to get again ever in your life. No.
0: But, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, as a comedian, I'm trying to find, like, where is the nugget of light? You know, is it even okay to, you know, find funny nuggets and, you know, talk about... You know, one of our uncles coming over and threatening dad, and you know, what I mean, when he was having delusions. You know, is there any light in that? Like, is is there anything comedy can do to even brighten it up? Maybe only if it's not going to come out right now. I can tell you that. When I sit with Mark, when I sit with Mark Snover,
1: yeah.
0: we can have that banter. That's so funny that we kind of speak each other's language.
1: Well, yeah, but that's family, and that's you know.
0: But I'm saying it'll come out with Mark in yeah. more of a stand up type of way.
1: Right, like Mark and I'll be like, yo, we
0: were both terrified. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, he was roaming the neighborhood. We didn't know whose house he was coming to. That's,
1: that's in the confines of your house that you're talking about, you know. I wouldn't talk about it on stage because, it, you know, it, it's so tragic. It is. You know, there's nothing funny about it.
0: Right. The only. I saw this comedy bit one time that reminded me of something like, like our family, but it wasn't our family. But Mario Jordan, the guy, he used to open for Seinfeld. Yeah, I'll never forget, like 20 years ago, I saw him do a bit about like his brother that was a troublemaker who was always in and out of jail. And he just said to the audience, matter-of-factly, he just said to the audience, he goes, don't act like a, I'm the only one with a shooter in his family. <laughs> and I thought, we don't have a shooter in our family, but wow. we've got people that, you know...
1: Got a lot of problems.
0: Yeah. We got some issues in the family. You know, we try to.
1: No doubt. I,
0: I think the future is going to show, and it's already showing now. It's not like I'm inventing, uh, coming up with some great revelation. But it's going to show that mental health is where everything starts. And I think med- and if you don't get your mental health straight, it, can, it will affect your physical. Of which we know it does already. I mean, I could tell you the smallest shit. Like if like I remember when I was dating Liz, right? And I remember she was talking so much about getting married, and for like three weeks straight, my stomach hurt. Just and a nervous stomach and was you a probably
1: still have a stomach ache. Yeah. If you,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I, I am absolutely a hypochondriac. No kidding. And it's it's something that's not good, and I I I have high level anxiety about it. Because it's like when I was in college and I had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Remember? Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was upside down. And then I started thinking, oh, this is what mental illness is. Then, do you remember the one week that I was depressed? Uh-oh. when I came, That summer? Do you ever remember me being depressed on the couch? No. The whole time? And you were like, will you just get up, get out already? You don't remember that? No. And finally, like, Jeff got me to go out, out of all people. He's like, Jeff. you got to get out. You're acting like a baby. You got to get up and move.
1: Jeff of all people.
0: Yeah. So.
1: <laughs>
0: no, he did not give me marijuana. He was just like, dude, I've never seen you laid up like this. You're at, you know, you need to get out in the world and, and move. Good idea. It's amazing how physical movement does get your head
1: in, oh, yeah. in a different
0: place. You know, even though when I lifted the weights earlier, I thought maybe I was getting lightheaded, but that's a blood pressure situation. I don't know. I'm fu- I'm out of my mind with. This. Right now, if you could see the video, my mom's holding her hand to her head. The head's cocked downwards, and Thank she's man. just going, "What is wrong with my oldest son? He's not married." Got and by the way, I know there's got to be rumblings in our family. Like, is Michael gay? Like, there ha. because when you're this age and you're not married, people start talking. But what what you yeah, can't I say. You're
1: the smartest of them all so far.
0: Right. Like what you can't say to people that are married and in couples is you can't say how happy you are. I can't tell people I actually enjoy a nice, fun, single run. Believe it or not, I'm enjoying the hell out of being single. Do I want to settle down and have a family? I do. Do I hear from Uncle Sam all the time about oh, what an immature person he I am? Be,
1: he would be the last person I would listen to.
0: Exactly. So my point is, is that I'm good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll teach you how to do single. You want you to come want to do single? single? Come do it the way you'll I, will, I do it. Find the
1: right person, and then you'll settle down, and you'll be like Stamos, <laughs> or, or, or what's his face, or uh, yeah. uh, what's his face, uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, you get married later in life, have a family, you know, in your fifties, and that's the way it's going to be.
0: I think that's exactly what's going to happen, and I'm cool with that. I hope they're ready to you. take on somebody with vertigo, a brand new. Vertigo. Cause it ain't easy. What you, know you should I mean?
1: do is marry a girl at the doctor.
0: By the way, I live two blocks from Cedar Sinai.
1: Thank God.
0: I'll linger. When I got the vertigo, <laughs> I started. I went to the market. I saw two doctors on my way to vertigo, and I just stopped them dead in their tracks in the street. And I started talking to them. And I was like, "Doc, what's up? What do you know about vertigo?" And they were like, "I know everything about vertigo." And every one of them said the same thing: "You'll be fine in a few couple weeks." Mm-hmm. You'll have a little hazy thing, and that'll be that. But anyway, I'm beyond, I'm past that. I don't even care anymore. Oh, right. I'm just wondering, can I dive in the water? Like, if I go to Jesse's, can I dive in the water? Can I like do all that stuff?
1: Try it, and if you don't, you don't. I mean, if if, if it's a problem, you'll know.
0: Right, but I when you're be spin- fine, I think oh, that's all I need is to be spinning underwater in Connecticut. Oh, <clears throat> I'll get saved by by Kate. What's her name? Who's the who? Grew, Kate Winslet. Right. Her and her husband will be up there. Um anyway, it was good to see me on television the other day at the Cavs yes, game. Was. Did you see me? Uh-huh. Got to go to the Cavs game, blessed. You know what I mean? Like my social life has beat out. Mm-hmm. My social life has always beat out my career. It's always been way higher than my career. My i I'm a doing
1: son, a good son would have taken his mother.
0: <laughs> this is where you don't get it. There, there's literally zero percent chance I can get you on an airplane on the on the private plane.
1: I would bet I would bet. If you asked Dan, he'd say, come on, bring
0: your mom. No, no, you don't understand. There's, there's, they had to get two planes to go to Cleveland. There's no way I could take my mom to the Cavs game for the playoffs. There's no way, you know what I mean? Even my nephew, even Ian's like, oh, can you just see if I can bring three friends? Three friends. You know what I mean? Listen, I was lucky enough to meet Dan. Dan Gilbert's the owner of the Cavs. I was lucky enough to become good friends with them through our business, through, you know, I wrote a movie for him that has yet to come out. But that's another story. But through that, we became good friends. I'd say True. somewhat kindred spirits. Because, you know, you have this picture of what billionaires are like. And people have these, like, f- weird views. And they're, like, tyrants. Or they're this and yeah, that.
1: He's one,
0: he's one in a million. He's the type of dude who... I always say this about Dan. He's got this side of his brain that is... he, he see, He's like a scientist. Like He sees math equations, problems. He can solve them in two seconds. He sees... A vision and can see it through from nuts and bolts to finality, but there's also the side of him that will like have your back in a bar fight. You know what I mean? Not there's this—he's he's so a real
1: family-oriented. Oriented. He, his family comes first and foremost among, amongst anything that he does. Yep. He's got five kids and a fabulous wife, and that's number one on his plate. Absolutely, all the time, every time. I mean the guy is home for the games for the kids, he coaches his kids, he's he's right there. Yep. He, he's yeah, he's a treat. He's a terrific guy. Yeah. yeah. And
0: he's been awesome to me. And he you know, he keeps saying, You gotta come home and do this entertainment here. But it's like what am I gonna what would I do in Detroit? What would I do? What w what, what entertainment would I do? Would I bring movies from LA to shoot in Detroit while there's no tax incentive here? Would I get some of the t v shows to come over here and like shoot in a studio and produce for Dan and
1: they like you know what they, mean? Have, they don't have the, the they don't have the in cru- here they don't have the crews they don't have the, the facilities, facilities.
0: They, Detroit was on its way to being one of the best places for entertainment they had a forty two percent tax incentive here, and it just went away it went away Well, and because
1: they weren't they were hiring all the of people from l a anyway, so it really wasn't employing that many people in Detroit itself, it really wasn't. And they didn't... Because they don't have the crews here that are trained like the guys in L.A. You know, they don't have the Grips and the Schmips and whatever.
0: (laughs) The Grips and Schmips. No, but that's a fact. Detroit did not... They didn't prep the way they should have for it, but I think... And I can just see it happening already. Dan is like in motion. Just, you know, keeps keeping the train moving. And I think eventually there will be some sort of resurgence. Or like they'll re-up some sort of incentive. And their entertainment will come back here in some form. But if you're from Hollywood, you're not going to be able to just come over to Detroit. Shit on Detroit and leave. Like, and leave your garbage behind. Because that's kind of how they were acting. These, These crews would come in. You know, Hollywood's a clown business. It's like... I don't want to say a clown business, but it's like it thinks it's like a better thing than it is. Hollywood's really a small business. The movie business is nothing compared to the TV business, TV business, and it's really nothing compared to the auto industry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a it's not it's not a huge thing like everybody makes it out to be, and like, you know, it's real. All it's about is making great content. So in my mind, it's like if we can. In a dream world, we have another Motown coming out of Detroit. You know what I mean? We use the talent that's already here. We put them on the map. You know the way like
1: There's Philly did back in There's the day. A ton of talent here.
0: Ton of talent, right? So like, if I had a a dream job in Detroit, it would be. I, I'm producing for like rock entertainment, right? So under Dan's umbrella, yeah. and I'm bringing, I'm, I'm, I'm starting the music label here. You know what I mean? And we're using homegrown talent. There's we're using the producers talent. that are here. You know what I mean? I already met with Trick Trick, so I'm all good in the hip hop world over there. And Jeff Bass is here. Jeff Bass is here, who produced Eminem's first two albums. Who's a good friend of the families. There are people here with major talent. And it's just one of those things. It's like the way they've done it, like Jay Prince, the Godfather of Houston music, you know, and hip hop. He did it in Houston, major movement out of there. Boom! Back in the day, Philadelphia had their whole Philly sound. Yeah. Motown had their sound in the '70s. Chicago had their moment. You know, Los Angeles had its funky sound. New York was the capital of everything. Detroit has is just waiting for somebody. To be the plug, to be the conduit. You know, Paul Rosenberg, who's from here, you know, he moved, he's in New York, running Def Jam now. So, we'll see. It's going to come. I got to just, if I want to do something like that, I got to figure out very specifically what I would want to do. Like, where do, what do I want to spend my everyday doing? And obviously, I can't write every single thing that I dream of doing. It's just too much time. But... I would love to have a pile of projects on my desk and look through each of them and go, you know what? This one is worth pursuing. Right. Let's go get some attachments. Let's make it happen. This group right here is incredible. Let's 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 get them in the them. studio. And
1: there's a lot of talent here. There's no, a ton.
0: No doubt. And I'm listen, I I'm not I'm not saying any, any miraculous statement. People are already here doing big things. I went to Jack White's uh, Third Man Records. I saw a band perform. I was blown away by these guys. I had to go find this guy. I think they're called like the Dan Brown Band or something like that. It was just a local band that Jack White put on his label. And they were as good as any band I've seen in years. So Detroit's already on the map. It's not like I'm coming. It's not like I'm doing anything you know, saying anything brand new, but every time I talk to Dan and his team, they're like, come home, you got to do something here, I'm just trying to figure out what it is, and it might, it might all just start with me, me packing my stuff in a U-Haul and figuring it out, you know, I gotta, I gotta, life is short, you know, I gotta stop being afraid to shake it up in LA, you know, I've been in the same place for 15 years, you know what I mean, I could still be in LA, but I'm sick of my place, my building, The people above me are stomping around. It sounds like thunder. I don't want to be the guy that keeps visiting his neighbor to tell him to be quiet, you know? So, I don't know. What do you think?
1: You need your own house. You need to get out of an apartment and have a house.
0: Absolutely. For what
1: you're spending in rent, you could have had two houses.
0: It's a joke. So, I think that's the move. So, I'll go to Florida. Me and Saget are performing in Florida at the Coconut Casino on June 23rd. Maybe I fly back to L.A. June 24th. Maybe the, that last week of June, I pack up a U-Haul. I pay, you know, so I don't skate out on my rent. I pay him the July rent. Yeah. And I take that, I sell as much stuff as I can. I pack my clothes. And Jack, oh, someone's, people are looking for Zyme on Facebook. <laughs> Somebody just hit me on Facebook looking for Zyme. I just saw it. Um, Where is he? He's in Florida, living in Florida. I'll bring him to the Coconut Casino and bring the whole house down. He's a great character.
1: How
0: is he? I think he's doing good. He's in, like, mortgages or something. My buddy Zyme is an inspiration. He's one of the characters in my act. When I say you got that friend that drinks and gets emotional, I'm basically just imitating Zyme. And he's one of the guys who everybody has a guy in high school or that they know who's funnier than basically any comedian they've ever seen. But it's just in the street, he's funny. Or in the classroom, he's funny. Or in a living room, he's funny. Like, I'm not my funniest friend. You know what I mean? Zyme is one of the funniest people. And, like, you can't be funny without being smart. And he was one of those dudes who would, like, he'd put a buck, he'd put the garbage pail next to him in class, spit tobacco into the garbage can, and just get an A on the geography test without barely studying. You know? He just, he's got a great mind. And uh, you know, I just Have don't know a what he's.
1: Snickered by now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my mom's great for one-liners. Great yeah. for one-liners. Um, yeah, we've been talking for forty minutes. Oh my god! What are you playing Words with Friends?
1: No, I'm listening. I'm looking at a, a, a text.
0: Uh, my mom's texting. She spends a lot of time on her phone these oh, days. Yeah, right. You spend a good amount of time on your phone.
1: No,
0: I don't. Uh, you're looking at your phone a lot. This summer. I'm gonna come back, go to Charlevoix, spend some time up there, get some writing done. The plan is to write two or three single mic episodes, and I'm talking to some people here that I want, to, you know, I want to raise a little bit of money, and I want, I want to shoot three episodes or two episodes. Rappaport's gonna be in it, Stamos is gonna cameo in it, Connolly's gonna direct it. Oh. If I want Doug to be a producer on it, he'll put his name on it. So, you know, we're not raising a ton of money; it's just a little bit, but I. I'd rather have like a couple, only a couple partners, as opposed to like ten people putting ten grand up. You know, I don't want that. I want one person putting up the dough. So I got a few meetings lined up. We'll how see who much, it's going to be.
1: How much money you have to put up?
0: Hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. You think that's a lot? No. I think I think I'm four questions away from getting it. Like four people. I'll go to four people. Somebody will say yes. And you don't
1: even have to
0: go to four people. I'll go to. One person, two people.
1: You go right here on the couch.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. My mom's producing single mics. She just gave me a hundred thousand. Stock market's killing it. Mm-hmm. My dad left a shoebox yeah, with a hundred thousand right. in it.
1: That's long gone. Do you
0: know me. that I had no idea that there was ever a shoebox in our house of cash? Did you?
1: No.
0: Always? No. What do you mean no? No. Yes or no?
1: Not that I know of.
0: What do you mean? You didn't know there was a shoebox full of money.
1: No, did you... <laughs> I'm
0: talking about. I'm talking about right when Dad passed away, I saw the shoebox. Uh-huh. Back in the day. You didn't know there was a shoebox.
1: No, there was cash. I knew there was cash.
0: No, I knew there was cash in a sock drawer. Every now and then I'd slip a hundred. But, I mean, did you know that there was like a bunch of cash? No. Mm-mm. You didn't know there was like a bunch of cash? That's how smooth my dad was. He didn't even tell my mom that there was a shoebox full of cash. I saw the shoebox.
1: Well, go find
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not there anymore. It's in the bank. It's in the bank. But dad was a my dad was a straight-up awesome... He was an mate. He was like Hedy Lamar. Yeah. I, I look at Hedy Lamar. I'm like, I thought she was an actress. She made seven inventions and was making money six different ways, and who knows? Dad just had... My dad had one scrap truck. It was a dump truck. And on a handshake deal... He right. was doing scrap metal up and down Eight Mile, and he got to make himself a very, just a little small grip of money, nice small fortune that he liked to brag about, and he never made... Never bragged ever. No, to, just to me, he would say funny things, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, he
1: never told anybody else.
0: No, if you wanted to upset my dad, you snatch the cash out of his hand <laughs> and lock yourself in the bathroom. <laughs> Rob did that one time. My dad would always have a couple thousand in, with a rubber band, at least, on know, and and my brother snatched it out of his hand one time and locked himself in the bathroom. <laughs> it's not like he could go anywhere, but Dad was literally breaking down the bathroom door because he did not—he didn't want to. You can't Robert, don't don't take a twenty from him. Don't even take a twenty.
1: Robert knocked. The, Robert broke down every door in the house.
0: Yeah, we could. We stopped replacing doors. But we actually never replaced doors because my brother was just putting his fist through all of them. And Both of us were.
1: That's why. But he, that's why this house has. Uh, solid wood doors. The other house didn't have them. Yeah, you can't put
0: your fist through this. This, no. is, this is straight oak yeah. or whatever it is. You're not getting through that. You try that, you break your knuckles. But yeah, me and my brother, and that's why you never redid the basement because we, Rob and I were killing each other.
1: Please.
0: My brother's my best friend, hands down, not even a question. It's just not even a question. But when we were young, we yes. fought. And by the way, I look at my nephews and they're doing the same thing. Right. It's the same exact thing. So you can't even like, you can't. There's no because there's no answer for why you fight your brother, because they just annoy you being in the same room as you, and it could be as little as just a little. <laughs> what are you? What's the matter? And next thing you know, it's full blown fisticuffs, and my dad would just send us in the basement. He didn't even say stop. He go, you want to kill yourselves? Go go down, go down, down, the, down the basement.
1: Don't bother. Anymore.
0: Our basement was covered. We had blood on the white walls and black hockey puck marks.
1: Right, on the walls.
0: On the walls. Everywhere. And it was basically an amazing ice rink down there. It was great. Mm-hmm. That basement was incredible. Our basement now, this one is triple the size, but if it was ever hardwood floor down there, it would just be Cameron's hockey rink. He'd just be firing no doubt. slap shots. No doubt. Across. But anyway, all right, so... That's 45 minutes. That's a good amount of time for a podcast. You did a great job. <laughs> you did a great job. Anything you want to say to me? Uh, to are, you, you, pr- are you proud of me at all? or do
1: you, I'm, super, are you? I'm super, super proud of you, yeah. Are you happy that I chose this profession? or Yeah. Did I, it worry you for a while? Be honest. Not really, no. I knew you were going to do fine. No, I never worried about you making a living at it. No. I knew, I, I, I'm a firm believer of you should lo- love what you do, and that's how I feel no matter what you choose in your life. If you love it, then it's not work. And that's
0: exactly true. And that's, that's why I wrote this bit. I said, everyone's always saying, like, nobody believed in me and nobody supported what I wanted to do. I had to prove everybody wrong. It's so hard. I'm like, you know what's harder? When people support you and believe in you, that really puts the pressure on you to try to make something of yourself. And... I no, kind of
1: I, I never thought you would not we're not going to make it in this business ever
0: I appreciate that, ma thanks you know. me either. I never thought I was going to have a big problem for some reason, you which is so ridiculous you to you think you
1: had a big problem You've no, done very well from this time you moved out there
0: yeah, it's very weird now that i', I got to pat myself on the back <laughs> I mean I'd like to thank you know I'd like to thank my friends for helping me out, but they, they really didn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Toby. Toby and I had a couple cool deals together that I probably would not have sold if it wasn't for Toby. Right. You know, but I but gotta just, say.
1: But he didn't write them. No, he, he just loaned, your, loaned you his name
0: and his time. Even though Toby would come to the meetings in sweatpants after a, f- a night full of poker, but that's another that's another story for another podcast. Anyway, Mike Young stories that need to be told. Find me on Instagram at the real Mike Young. Thanks, Ma. My pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. She's a great podcast guest. Stock Tip Dave, shout out. Stevie Gutman, you'll be on the next one. Sorry, fellas, that I didn't make it on time. If you're in Florida, June 23rd, Mike Young, Bob Saget, Coconut Casino, Seminole Coconut. We'll see you there. Peace. Take me back. When I was a kid, never had to worry take about what back, I, I did. But I'm a man now. Check it out. Gotta get it down sometime. Get it down. Take me back. When I was a kid, never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. But I'm a man now.